Well, we're continuing our um, studies in the, the theme of knowing God, and by knowing God, uh, knowing ourselves. Uh, and we're going to turn tonight to, to John chapter 15, uh, as uh, we look at the subject of knowing the God of love. Uh, scripture tells us that we are to be still and know that I am God. So we're going to try and do that tonight, to be still to take it in, to really know God as the God of love. So John 15 and verse number 9. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his, ma his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Amen. So uh, where do you start actually uh, with, this, with this subject? And in fact, uh, where do you end when you think about this kind of tremendous, inexhaustible subject of uh, the God of love? In fact, if you were to read one of Paul's famous prayers in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about um, knowing the width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of God, which he actually then goes on to say surpasses knowledge. So we are to, to know something that actually surpasses knowledge that is not just monochrome or is in one dimension, but is a glorious, faceted thing. Uh, where do we start and where do we finish? Because we've been loved with an everlasting love. And God has so loved the world. It's almost as if there's an ad adjective missing that's not complete, that's insufficient to describe the magnitude of, of the love of God. And this, of course, is the great, grand theme of the gospel in particular. That Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Intrinsically, fundamentally, the gospel is the good news of, of redeeming love. There is, there is a word of caution, however, just to be mentioned. 
And that, that caution is this, that in a sense we understand that when we've been looking at these subjects over the weeks, that we've taken one particular subject, one particular attribute of God each evening and tried to develop that and try to think about it. But, you know, God's glory, as I've said before, um, is the sum of his attributes. That's a great, great phrase to remember, actually. God's glory is the sum of his attributes. It's not just one aspect. And in fact, the danger is that if you take one aspect of the, of, of the attributes of God, no matter how wonderful that might be, that in fact that gives you a false idea, an incomplete view uh, of what God is actually like. And it can lead you to false conclusions. And that, that's true even with the subject that we're looking at tonight. It's a marvelous subject that we're going to develop. God is love. But if you only look at that by itself, it gives you a false idea. Why would God ever consign his, his, his creation uh, to condemnation and judgment if he's a God of love? Why would God ever do that? And we have to marry that up and balance it out with God's justice and all his other attributes as well. So that's just um, a brief word uh, of caution. We have to think that God is both love and God is light uh, as well. But we come to this tremendous subject nevertheless. And, and you think of all the scriptures that are given over to the subject of, of the love of God. And we could go from beginning to end. I was just looking up one of my books this afternoon uh, about D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, the American evangelist in the late 1800s. He had paid a visit to Britain. And in the course of that, he had met a young guy by the name of Harry Moorhouse, who was from Lancashire. Um, he had been in jail. He lived on the streets, been in jail before he was 21, had been a pickpocket. He, he was converted at an open-air meeting. And uh, his life was changed slowly. Quite an interesting detail. It says that for a while he deliberately wore thick gloves uh, to prevent him pursuing his career as a pickpocket, uh, making it more difficult for him to do that. Uh, anyway, he said, I'll come to Chicago and I'll preach for you, Mr. Moody. And he kind of dismissed him. Uh, but he pitched up in Chicago. And meetings were convened for Harry Moorhouse. And um, everybody, including Moody, was blown away. They were saying to Moody, the great evangelist, he says, he doesn't preach like you. What he did every night was he read from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And each night he wove that theme from Genesis to Revelation all through the Bible, he, 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 he used different passages every night just to develop and expand that tremendous theme of the love of God and to convey that powerful point that God loves sinners. It's not just the fact that we warn people as we must and as Moody tended to do, but to have our, helps, our, our hearts melted in a winsome and a touching way with the love of God. And Moody's preaching was never quite the same again. He learned from Harry Moorhouse to preach the God of love and the gospel of the God of love. 
We think of the many texts, no doubt, that Moorhouse could have pointed people to. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. God demonstrates love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? You think of the many hymns, some of which we've sung tonight, that take up that tremendous theme. Here's another one of my favorites that says it as well. Could we think the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God, it's an inexhaustible and a grand subject for us to consider tonight. So where, where do you start? We have to have some sort of focus. We have to have some sort of structure. We can't be everywhere. And I've chosen John chapter 15 and the few verses uh, that we read. And at one level I've chosen that because it's from the life of Christ. And surely this is where we must go as we think about God's love. Christ is the full expression of God's love. And it's this incident on the night of his betrayal, just a few hours before his crucifixion, and his death upon the cross, in the upper room, with his own, with his disciples. And it has to be with the focus of the death of Christ that we think about his love. That greatest expression and demonstration of God's love for, for us. And if you look at how the whole incident in the upper room begins, if you turn back to chapter 13 and verse 1, uh, and at the end of that verse, it says this, Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He, he wanted to be with these men. They were his own. Everybody else was shut out. It was an intimate occasion. He wanted to express his love. And, and the way it's described is, having loved them, he loved them to the end. Now that wasn't just the fact that from A to Z. It means he loved them to the fullest extent possible. To the, to the uttermost, he loved them. And as that evening developed and the various things took place, the washing of the disciples' feet, taking of the Passover meal, the institution of the Lord's Supper, the teaching that he has to give... He then comes to this point here in chapter 15. And this is where we're going to stay, if you like, launch pad. Verse 9. And we'll maybe have this uh, up here now. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And we're just going to take a clause at a time. Three clauses. And try to kind of tease that out, think about it. 
and try to get some understanding of it. As the Father has loved me. I want us to think about this. The Lord Jesus is talking about the love that his Father has for him. Now, the love that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the the persons of the triune God, have for each other is eternal. That relationship has always been a relationship of unity and of love and of fellowship. And that's why when Christ prays in chapter 17 in the upper room, he says, as far as his disciples are concerned, I pray that they might be one even as we are one. That's why unity is such a fundamentally crucial thing. It's a reflection of of what God is like, this relationship of fellowship and love that exists eternally between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn to chapter 17 so I can point another statement out there down at verse number 24, where he says this, Uh, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory that you have given me. Because, here we go, you loved me before the creation of the world. Before the world was created, there was this relationship of love between the Father and the Son. And that continued when the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. There's an interesting verse that's not always picked up accurately in some of our newer translations. John chapter 1, verse 14, which says this, when it's thinking about the incarnation. It says, The only begotten Son, who is in the book of the Father, has told him out. Now this idea, this phrase, the only begotten, is a term of love and of relationship. And the idea of him being in the bosom of the Father. You think of John in the upper room. And he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he is described as reclining on the bosom of Christ, a place of intimacy and of love. And the Son is always in the bosom of the Father, as the Father has loved me. Again, you think about the occasion when the Son of God enters into his public ministry at his baptism. And as he comes out of the waters, having been baptized by John, the voice is heard from heaven, this is my beloved Son, it's my my Son whom I love. And that's God's, it's God's commentary on those hidden 30 years of perfection that his son has lived before he's now about to step onto the public stage of his ministry. Here's my son whom I love. And he says the same thing on the Mount of Transfiguration. As Christ speaks about his exodus and the fact that he has to die and accomplish that great task at Calvary. And the voice comes down again and says... This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And this sense of as the father has loved me 
comes out so strong. And it's good for us, you know, to think about this. It's good for us to think about things that go beyond just what we feel about ourselves and how things impact upon us. Worship, at times, is more than just giving thanks for what God has done for us. It's an appreciation of who God is in his greatness. And we see this when we think about the love of the Father to the Son. And that puts into stark terms the loss, if you like, of Calvary. That he did not spare his own Son, but he delivered him up for us all. You know, that reminds us about Abraham and Isaac, doesn't it? God spoke to Abraham and, you know, he really makes the point, take Isaac, take Isaac your son, take Isaac your only son, take Isaac your son whom you love and offer him there on the mountain. And that gives a picture, the fact that God did not spare his only son, but delivered him up. For us all. There's that wonderful verse, you might want to jot this one down, Colossians 1.13, which talks about us being rescued from the kingdom of darkness and being translated into the kingdom of the Son of God's love, of His dear Son, as the Father has loved me. So have I loved you. Christ looks at his disciples in that room. And what he's saying is this. In the same way that my father loves me, to the same extent as my father loves me, that is how I love you. And and that's what the Lord Jesus is saying to us tonight as well as we think about this. So have I loved you. He loves us to the fullest extent. The love of Christ could not possibly be more towards each of us. Now, that's something that we have to to always try and keep in our minds. Because this is always the great lie of our world and of our circumstances and of Satan. That because of what happens to us, Because of how our life goes, that little seed at times is dropped in there that God doesn't care and God does not love us and God is not a God of love because if he were, this and that would never have happened. And we have always got to remind ourselves that God's love can never be greater and it goes beyond any other form of love that we could try and equate in our minds. And there are many examples of this even in Scripture. For instance, we could go to the life of David. And we could, we could think about David's love for his errant son, Absalom. And on the day that Absalom died, it's recorded that David walked up above the gate of the city and the stairs. And Scripture records the, 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 the cry of David when he said, O oh, Absalom, Would God that I had died for you, that I died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. And and we can can relate to that. We can relate to to how David felt about his great comrade in arms, his great friend Jonathan, 
when he heard that Jonathan had been slain in the battlefield. And David actually composed a poem that he taught to the whole nation. The Song of the Bow. He said about Jonathan, Jonathan, your love to me was wonderful. Wonderful. Surpassing even the love of women. You think about all these examples and illustrations and expressions of different kinds of human love. And yet what we have to remind ourselves about as we come to these scriptures is that the love of Christ for us goes beyond that. The word that's used is even a different word in Scripture. It's a love for those who are unlovely and who are undeserving. It's a love that goes beyond having a cause. God's love reaches down to all of us. That's why we go to some of these tremendous examples of the teachings of Christ when he told about the prodigal and about the father waiting when the son who'd ruined his life wasted his life on wild living eventually at the end of his tether decides to take these steps leading back home and the father runs to meet him and embraces him and welcomes him back home. It's the love of God is greater than anything else than our hearts can ever compute. He saw me plunged in deep distress. He came to my relief. For me, he bore the cruel cross and carried all my grief. And that love is the love that, 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 that saved us, but that still carries us and guides us and brings us through eventually to the gates of glory. And we define God's love not by our own experiences, because as we read in 1 John 4, this is love. This is its definition. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I was babysitting earlier this week. Two little baby monitors that I was instructed to give attention to. One for the upstairs room, one for the bedroom. And uh, as I was sitting trying to prepare some of my, my notes, I could hear some, some little noises. And I thought, I really should go and check on this and see what's going on. And uh, when I went through and listened closely, uh, I could hear a little voice. And it was singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. It's what we teach the children. But it's the truth that grips all our hearts and should grip all our hearts our whole life through. We should never get beyond that, but we should deepen in it the enormity, the expanse, the depth, the profundity, the immensity of the love of Christ for us. As my Father has loved me, even so have I loved you. And then finally, he says, now, remain in my love. This, this idea is quoted elsewhere. You'll, you'll find it in the book of Jude, where Jude writes, keep yourselves in the love of God. So what does that mean? What does it mean for me to keep myself in the love of God? 
or to remain in the love of God? Does that mean somehow or another I can take myself out? That there can be a kind of Brexit from the love of God? Well, we know that there is nothing that possibly can separate the believer from the, the love of God. Anything in heaven and earth, nothing can separate us. What, what does this mean? Well, let me give you a few suggestions here. I think, first of all, this relates to people who are unbelievers. Unbelievers. Because, interestingly, as you read through the upper room, somebody has not remained. Judas has left, it said, and he went out, and it was night. He didn't remain. He didn't stay. He removed himself from the circle and from the environment and from the influence of the love of God and he walked away from that. He did not remain. did not keep himself in the love of God. It's a very solemn thing that people can do that and yet it comes to us that there are people who just make an empty profession of faith. And that's all that it is. This teaching, if you go back to the start of chapter 15, is given in the context of the vine and the branches. And there are some branches in the vine that don't bear fruit and have to be removed. And these are people who only profess salvation. They don't actually have it. Because any true child of God will always bear fruit. And Judas left. He removed himself. He did not remain in the vine, if you like. Secondly, I think remaining, we get this from the verses that we read, means keeping Christ's commands. If you look at verse 10 again, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Obedience to the commandments and the teaching and the instruction of the Bible and of the Lord Jesus Christ is the sure proof sign of loving Christ and remaining in his love. At any level of life, there has to be a real problem, hasn't there? If, if we say that we love somebody, you know, if we love a parent or if we love a child or if we love a spouse or if we love a friend, if we say that and yet we, we kind of contradict and we, we disregard and, and we disrespect their wishes uh, and their desires, there's a, there's a problem. It doesn't just add up at all. It's, it's just noise. You know, it's just words. It doesn't mean anything. It's not, it's not actually love. And that's, that's the same thing when it comes to the Christian life. It means this, that as we li listen to the teaching of the Lord Jesus, which impacts, of course, on so many areas of our life, what it means when I say that I follow him is that I treasure him and his teaching beyond anything else as my Lord and as my Savior. And therefore, if there is a decision that has to be made, if there is a choice that I have to take in life, you know, if I love him, I will obey his commandments. 
And so that comes with a real challenge to all of us so that we might ask ourselves the question, is there anything that's clear and anything that's obvious in my life that actually is a contravention of the commandments of Christ? If, if I love Christ, if I say I love Christ, and if I want to remain in that love, I will keep his commandments. Number three, third reason uh, about remaining in my love, I think it means having the enjoyment and the, and the experience and, and the felt blessing of the love of Christ in our lives. It's, it's more than just at a kind of academic, theoretical, kind of cold and calculated level saying, yes, I know that Christ loves me. It is, it is to experience that. It, it's to, to enjoy the warmth and the depth and the closeness of that in your own soul as you think about Christ's love. And it's to, it's to kind of appropriate and, and really grasp Christ's love in your life. You see how obedience does that. If you obey his words, then there's nothing that comes between. If you know that you're disobeying the words of Christ, there, there, there's some sort of barrier there. And look at how he puts it here uh, in this uh, passage in verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. There is a felt sense of the love of Christ that is part of what it means to remain in his love. Fourthly, there's a specific example about this here in this passage and it's this. He gives a command in verse 12 where he says love one another. He goes on to talk about his own love. Greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. But he says to them, you are to love one another. This is what you have to do. It's the command that I give to you. As I have loved you, you have to remain in this love, in this same way. And so for us, again, you know, it's easy in general terms to say how I, you know, I love the world, you know, but it's the individuals that I've got problems with. Uh, you know, the real thing is the love of people for Christ's sake. So easy to talk about. We need to go through passages like 1 Corinthians 13 again and think about what that really means. How love is not a proud thing. Love means that I don't get easily offended. Love means that I am patient. And it means that I am kind. And it's something that is not self-seeking. And it's something that doesn't think about your own wants, but sacrifices for others. Greater love has no man than this, than you lay down your life for your friends. And so... This is the specific example of what it means to remain in Christ's love. Now, this could be developed even further. We think about our immediate friends, but we think about people who are, who are further beyond us. Part of the Church of Christ, John was praying for the persecuted church. We're thinking about our mission weekend coming up that will 
focus our attention on that and think about people that we have an obligation to as far as the church of Christ is concerned. So there we have it, the many dimensions of the love of Christ. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, remain in my love. May God help us to be still, to know that he is God, that he is the God of love, and what the implications for that are as we seek to try and keep ourselves to remain in his love. Now shall we pray. Lord, in in response to your great love for us, we feel our love so, so small, so cold, so fleeting, so inadequate. And yet, Lord, uh, the, we know that there is a flame there that we want, that we want to love you. Uh, we think of how Jesus still asks his disciples, do you love me more than these? And Lord, so we pray that as we have thought about the teachings of Christ, that there will be a response from our hearts as we think of your love to remain in the love of Christ. So we, we commend your word to all our hearts through the ministry of your spirit to us as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.